Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Now the reason why we constantly review is because many times there are those that are here that were not here last time and there are new faces. And you teach a message such as faith and many here in the middle, here by the wayside and consequently they have a lot of questions and we want them to have the same opportunity to lay a good foundation for their lives also. So this is our third lesson. I believe it's entitled Our Goal. And let me just, before we get into it, just say that, beloved, the Bible talks about laboring in the Word, talks about digging deep into the Word, laying a solid foundation upon a rock. I really believe that unless we build a solid foundation for our spiritual lives, our lives are just built on sand. And I know it's work and I know it's a lot of effort to get into digging into God's Word. Digging deep into God's Word. Seeking and searching out nuggets of truth. Putting them into our own hearts and our own lives. Making them realities within us. It's not easy. But remember, unless you do that, and unless I teach that way, unless you study that way, you'll gain a lot of theological facts but they will not be truths. There's a difference between facts and truths. Facts remain detached from your life. Truths become a part of your being, creative ability within your spirit. Ye shall know the truth, not theological facts, and the truth will set you free. And so it's important that we keep Digging into God's Word. As Jesus said, continue in my Word. You may have heard the same message a thousand times. You need to hear it a thousand and one. It, it doesn't matter how many times we've heard the message. If you'll maintain a teachable spirit and a right attitude towards the Word of God and a listening ear and a, an open mind and, and a receptive heart, then the Spirit of God will take theological facts that you've learned in your minds and cause them to be spiritual truths. See, we could learn a lot in our heads. We call that mental ascent. But remember this statement. Truths are not intellectually learned. They are spiritually perceived. They are not intellectually learned. They are spiritually perceived. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll probably start at verse 1. But let me reiterate a few things after we pray that we talked about in our last couple of lessons. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your written holy word that unveils unto us the living Christ. Thank you for attentive ears, open minds, and receptive hearts. Thank you for the anointing upon your word. Thank you for watching over your word to perform it. It will not return void. It will accomplish that which you please. It will prosper in the thing whereunto you sent it. I thank you also for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to boldly proclaim the truth and demonstration of the spirit and the power that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men but in the power of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. 
quickly as a review. We're talking about our goal, what God has for us. And we're using Israel's deliverance out of Egypt, out of Egyptian oppression as an example. And their supposed entrance into Canaan's land. And we said that God had a whole lot more for Israel than just deliverance from Egyptian oppression and Pharaoh. He had a whole lot more for them. Much, much, much more for them. He had a place prepared for them. Just as he prepared a place for Adam and Eve, he prepared a place for them called Canaan's land. A land of total provision. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land where they could experience freedom from every fear known to mankind. Freedom from sickness. Freedom from disease. Freedom from calamity. Freedom from their enemy. Freedom from all opposition. Freedom from poverty, from lack and from want. Freedom from miscarriages. Freedom from sterility. Freedom from everything contrary to life. I think that's the best way to say it. Freedom. Absolute freedom and absolute provision. But beloved, seemingly to them, that was a spiritual utopia that no one could possibly attain or achieve in reality in their life. That's how they viewed it. I mean, where are you going to find a place where we could live and be free from sickness and disease upon this earth? Where are you going to find a place where a woman could be free from the fear of a miscarriage? See, all the things that God said belonged to them were beyond their ability in their minds to believe. There's no such place upon this earth. But Jehovah said it's in Canaan's land. Well, every single one of them, we said, had the same deliverance. When they came out of Egypt, every single one of them, not just a few, every one of them had deliverance. The same redemption, the same deliverance, and the same potential to enter into that promised land. God didn't love one more than the other. We saw in Psalms that it said that when they were delivered, there was not one feeble among their tribe. Young, old, middle-aged, it didn't matter. Every single one of them experienced the same deliverance. They all had the same opportunity. They all had the same ability. They all had the same potential to enter into this place that God had prepared for them. And once again, he reiterates over and over and over and over and over again that this place that I want you to enter into is a place where I will keep you free from sickness, free from disease, no miscarriages. Every single family will have children among your cattle. There will always, you know, be life. I mean, everything that God planned and purposed for them is beyond human imagination. If you were to tell that to somebody in the world today, they'd say, you, you know, you're living in a utopia somewhere. There's no such place. But yet God said it's for you. And although God intended for each and every one of them to enter into 
that perfect place, we found out that because of unbelief, sin and unbelief, they failed to enter in. And before we close out last week, we defined unbelief as being, number one, lack of knowledge, two kinds of unbelief, number two, disobedience. And the cure for the one, cure for lack of knowledge, of course, is to gain knowledge. And the cure for number two, of course, is to obey or be persuaded to act upon the Word of God. But we saw that Israel didn't do that. Under the leadership of Moses, they failed to enter in to the promised land. Now, I want you to notice here in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 why Jehovah could not automatically take them into the promised land. This is very important. It has significant meaning for our lives. Why Jehovah didn't just have them cross the Red Sea and immediately take them into Canaan's land? Why such a long journey? Why such a long period of time? Why did they have to go through what is called the wilderness to get there? For what reason? Why didn't he just, I mean, he parted the Red Sea, he dried up the land. If he wanted them in that place, why didn't he just translocate them supernaturally like he did Philip into Canaan's land? Just like that. He's God, he could have done that. Without a doubt, he could have done that. Never forget these important truths concerning God's dealings with mankind. God has made each and every one of us a free will moral agent. He gives us the power of choice, the right to choose. The reason why we're living upon this earth is to prove to Him that we desire to fulfill His plan for our lives, to live for Him and to do all He would have us to do so that we could spend eternity with Him in glory. And you'll notice here in, in chapter 8, verse 1, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live, multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. Now notice, number one, to humble you. And number two, to prove you. Now notice this, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. Here we find the reason why. They were led into a wilderness so that they could prove what was in their heart to God. And the next verse adds to it, And he humbled thee and allowed thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that. There's a learning experience. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. In other words, to let you know that man does not just live by natural food. Do you realize that if he would have translocated them into Canaan's land, they would have had all that ripened fruit? They would have had milk and honey, an abundance in everything their hearts could possibly desire. Total provision, everything. 
But you see, he said, I need to know what's in your heart. You have to prove yourself to me. Just like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, he said, here's everything your heart desires. Here is everything you need in this life. I've given everything to you. But what I want from you is that you obey my voice. Thou shalt not eat of this fruit over here, lest you die. So they have a period of time with which to prove what was in their heart to God. Do you see that, beloved? And even though Israel came out of, out of bondage, out of captivity, still God had to knew, know what was in their hearts. If he didn't know what was in their hearts, he didn't know whether or not he could trust them to fulfill his desired plan for their life. Never forget this. When the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I want you to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. That was my wilderness. My family's wilderness. And we're going to show that it doesn't take 40 years in our lives, although you could let it prolong it for 40 years if you want to. It's up to you. But when the Lord spoke and said, you'll go, I want you to know something, beloved. We were in Youngstown, Ohio, serving Him, doing His will. As a matter of fact, I preached in a Christian assembly church, a sister church of this church in Youngstown, Ohio. And the preacher said, and the people said, and the people of the Bible study that I taught said, there's no possible way you have to go anywhere. You don't have to go on down to Tulsa. You don't have to go to, to school here. The anointing of the Lord is upon you. I know He's called you to teach and preach and to minister the Word of God effectively into His people. Why do you have to go? Why are you going to go? What are you going to go for? And all this opposition comes your way to keep you away from doing what God's will is for your life. But listen, sure, it's a whole lot closer to come from Youngstown to Midland than it is to go from Youngstown to Tulsa to Youngstown to Midland. But I want you to know something. When we left, we had total security before leaving. I had a great job. We had everything that, that you want when it, when it comes to security, hospitalization, good benefits, security in my job. A fairly decent salary at that particular time in our lives. We had our own home. We had equity within the home. Young married couple starting out with a child and, and so on and so forth. You know, your typical American story. The American dream. And when he said go, I want you to know that it meant you leave house, you leave land, you leave family, you leave job, you leave security, you leave benefits, you leave everything you have achieved in life behind you. Sell what you can, do what you, give it away what you can, go to where I said go, and I want you to be in that place to prove to me what is in your heart. Beloved, if you've been called out to, to do something such as we were called out to do, I want you to know something. You'll learn more in your experience than you will at your school. I mean that. And because of your obedience to do what God has asked you to do, if you'll humble yourself before Him, He'll prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt that man does not live by bread alone. And we found this out in a quick hurry. Man does not exist on natural food alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the living God. Whereas back there you trusted in, in your, your job security and your benefits to pay for the doctor in the hospital bill when you have a child. 
Well, my wife was pregnant at the time and we gave all that up. And we knew that when we left, it meant that you've got to pay for the hospitalization or, or for the hospital bill itself when your wife has the baby and all that. But we said, forget it. It's all gone because God said go. And yes, beloved, we were like the Israelites in the wilderness that was our time, our proving time to Him. You know, many want what others have, but they don't want to go through what others go through to get what they have. Many want to have your kind of faith, but they don't want to do what it takes to have that kind of faith. And to refresh your memory, we moved into a, a house, the house that, that, my goodness, in the area that we lived, it was a, a dream house. It was the house that you always wanted to live in. We always wanted to live in on a boulevard street. Beautiful. Boulevard lights at night, beautiful, quiet, nicest neighborhood. People on a list to buy a house that went up for sale there. We got that house because when we came to the Lord, we found out you need to tithe. And so we sold our previous, the house we had prior to that, which was a brand new home, just so we could pay our tithes and serve God better. We didn't wait for God to, you know, knock us in the head to say, pay your tithes. We saw that the Word said it. And we didn't say we're going to wait a year until our mortgage payment, you know, or something changes or I get a better salary. No, we stopped right, started right there, stopped everything right there and said, if I can't pay my tithes because of this house and the house goes, we prioritize. Period. Who cares about a house? That was our attitude. God comes first. And he worked it out so that we, you know, found this house. And I'd like to tell you that story. My wife was just <laughs> led of the Lord for sure. And we got into this particular house, this home. And we were there not quite seven months. And as soon as we moved in, we thought, this is it. We're going to serve the Lord here forever. We're going to be in this house. It's, it's her dream house. It's, you know, where we wanted to live. And we're going to serve the Lord here forever and just continue this way. I'll continue working and I'm going to teach Bible studies and minister anywhere I possibly can just to share, share truths that I have learned from God's holy word. And so we started like we normally do when we go into a new home. We tore up this and tore up that and tore out this and tore out that. My wife is very imaginative. I mean, she is very creative. She can just take a place and I tell her this. I say, honey, you have that unique knack for making a house into a home. And it doesn't take you very long. And I mean to tell you, within a seven-month period, we put in a brand-new kitchen. I mean, we tore older homes. We tore wallpaper off every part of the, the downstairs and put all brand-new carpeting in, put wall lights on up on the side and... And uh, went to the upstairs second floor. You talk about a bathroom. They made a bathroom. It was like Fort Knox. It had cement that thick on the floor and around the sides. It wasn't just tile. It was that, that marble stuff. And it had cement into the wall. The whole thing. I don't know how it was up there. It was a contractor that built the house for himself. And he built it to stay. It was anchored. Believe me. And it was amazing that that, that bathroom up there wasn't, you know, in our living room or dining room. It was so heavy. But we went up there with a hammer. And beat out all that cement, everything, threw it out the second floor window and, and I mean got it all out. Within a seven month period, we put so much time, effort, energy and work into that house because you're getting, you're going to live here all your life, right? And I mean, we worked and we worked and we worked and we labored and we labored and the Lord said, you're going to move. <laughs> we fixed the house up real nice for some other people. I mean, I put down a real nice ceramic floor, never worked with it before, but I prayed about it and put a, you know, ceramic floor, real nice, and in, in, in the bathroom. And we put time, effort, energy, and money into this home because this is it. Do you see my point? This is it. This is where we're going to live. Got a good job. Amen. Found the Lord now. We're serving Him, paying our tithes now. Got rid of that other house. That was a burden. You know, well, we could have stayed there and paid it, but, but then that we couldn't pay our tithes. 
Now you say, well, if you had more faith then, well, I was just thinking, Lord, I didn't know I could believe God for finances then in, in that respect. So I says, the house goes so we can pay our tithes. And so we got to this place and we serving the Lord there. You know, it's one step at a time. And when he said, go, beloved, we moved from that place, sold our house to pay our tithes. We moved to this house in seven months. He said, now you've got to leave here and you're going to go to Tulsa. But he sold that house in one day. And we didn't plan on moving for four months. So he sold a house in one day and we had to be out. So we had to move all our stuff. We had to sell some of the stuff and do an apartment. Now count it. Once, twice. Now we're in an apartment in Youngstown, Ohio. Then from, from that apartment, we got to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma four times. From Tulsa, Oklahoma, after school was out, he goes, move again five times. All the way back to her mother's house. We got, you know, came back to Youngstown. And then down here. All in being saved in two years. I mean, we've got a child from every country. We got a Buckeye, we got an Okie, and a Quaker. Amen. <laughs> but you can't take the Buckeye out of the heart, you know. <laughs> Maybe the Lord took us out of, of Ohio, but He didn't take the Ohio out of us. But what I'm saying is, no, it wasn't convenient to go. It wasn't. At all. Well, what's he doing to you? Proving what's in your heart. What are you made up of? What's in you? Brother, we went through... I have recently found out, I mean, I didn't know this then because you're just so young in the Lord. We went through, in less than three years, being saved, what most Christians do... In 50. Ended up as a three-year-old Christian pastoring a church. Thinking every, every Christian does this. But we come to find out that pe people weren't even speaking with other tongues. And they've been in Pentecost for many, many, many years. Do you see, do you see the Lord's doing a fast work on the earth today. And people whose hearts are yielded unto Him, He's going to use. He's going to use them. Because the time is short. And people need to get in tune with what God is doing upon the earth. But my point is, here he had to prove them to see what was in their heart. And that's why he couldn't take them immediately, see, out of Egypt into Canaan's land. How long is that period of time? It's up to the individual. It's up to the Israelites. They could have victory along the way. Victory. We had victory all along the way. We were never defeated. We sang all the way to Oklahoma and we sang all the way back. We went down there debt-free. We came back debt-free. All supernatural. All miraculous. And I wish I had time to go into details, but you just don't have all that time. But I'd like to someday to really to share with many of you who do not know the things that we experienced. But it was a step of faith. Every time we came to a place in our lives where we didn't have the money, we weren't like the Israelites. I didn't walk over to Jen and say, Oh, would to God we'd have stayed in Youngstown. Would to God. You see... We'd have served the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company. There I had bread on the table. There the doctor bill would be paid. We didn't talk like that down there. We said, praise God, He supplieth all of our need according unto His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You're staring at a $1,600 bill in the face when you don't have enough just to make ends meet because, you know, you're working part-time, you're going to school full-time and, and, and she's... You know, she's worked up to nine months being pregnant and, and you know, right up to the, the end of the last month and... and 
you're doing everything you can physically, humanly speaking, from a natural standpoint. But what do you, how does God do it? What do you do about it? You just say, Father, you said. Father, you said. And every place we came in the wilderness, he saw what was in our hearts. It was faith. We got a hold of love and we begin to walk in love. And I'll tell you what, faith worketh by love. See, he discovered what was in our hearts. No, we're not perfect, but he knew one thing, that these people aren't going to quit. They're not going to quit. They've got what it takes. There's something on the inside of them that says they're going to make it. It was the greater one on the inside. We've had serious opposition. We, I, I've had, to, uh, you know, demon spirits in, in, endeavor to take my life. Didn't know what it was. Just a young child in the Lord. Just didn't know. And I didn't understand it. Didn't understand, you know, how spiritual uh, things manifested themselves. But praise God, it was the name of Jesus that, that got us the victory. And that name will always give us the victory. So right there in the wilderness, he saw what was in our hearts. They love me. They're going to serve me. And believe me, beloved, he didn't have to humble me. No, sir. I said, Father, you know where I've come from? I have no education. He said, I'm not looking for education. What talents and ability do I have? I could pick a little on that guitar. It's about it. I don't talk in front of people. Can't do that. You know. He said, I'll take care of that. I'll get a coal from off the altar and put it in your mouth. I'll make it burn in your bones till you have no choice but to spit it out. Amen. Oh, yeah, when I was in school, right before I got saved, right before I got saved, when I was in school there, I had standard to give us a talk, you know, in communications. Only thing I communicated was a bunch of noise from that paper I shook. I communicated my nerves. I let them know right in advance. See, this is, this is a great way to communicate. I don't speak in front of people. They all got the message. Teacher didn't because she didn't give me a good grade. <laughs> That's what I thought communications for was to communicate something. I did. I communicated to them. I don't want to talk in front of people. But beloved, he is our strength. He is our ability. If he calls you, he equips you and he anoints you to do what he's asked you to do. And every step of the way, they could have had victory in the wilderness, but they wouldn't humble themselves before God in his word. They wouldn't learn the message that man does not live by bread alone. And I'll tell you what, you find out. People think, I can believe God financially. Can you? Can you? John G. Lake did. When he was called to go to Africa, making, I mean, back, way back when, making over $50,000 a year as an insurance salesman. I mean, you, way back then, working for an insurance company, way back then, making, making $50,000 a year, he had all, anything he could have desired or hoped to have. He gave it all up. Sold everything he had, every penny he gave to the poor. He, and I'm talking about a fellow with, with not one, two, three, about seven kids. He and his wife. And the Lord said, go to Africa. He says, okay, I'm going to go. How are you going to pay the way? God said, go, he's got to do it. So he got in line to get his ticket. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. Getting cl and don't mind in his pocket. He needs tickets. You know, he's going to go to Africa. Before he got to the front, someone tapped him and said, where are you heading? And gave him money to go. When he got off the boat, arrived over there, the Lord already prepared someone to meet him. And she went up and met him and said, where are you staying? He had no place to stay. She said, the Lord prepared a house for you. Oh, beloved, it's fun. You say it's fun having nothing? It's fun. 
Do you see what he did to them? He brought them out of that place where man provided, took them out of the world system, the world's program, where they had nothing, out into a wilderness where, as I said last Sunday, there wasn't any giant eagle, no place to buy food, no water fountains. Did you see that? Oh, would to God, would to God, everybody, everyone. See, it's easy to say, I can believe God when you've got a good income. It's easy to say, I can believe God when, you, when you've got a bank account. It's easy to say, I can believe God when you've got people around you that's, that's blessing you and helping you out. But, beloved, when you're out there in the wilderness, when you have no one, nobody, nothing, you're alone, no job, no source of supply in the natural I want you to know, bless God, He will supply all of your need. You get in tune with His plan, His program for your life. He will supply all that you need. He'll multiply the spaghetti. I mean that. In the whole nine months that we were down there, almost a year, we were down there in Tulsa, we did not go without pizza. But we didn't have to beg. No, we just live the faith. Why couldn't he just put them right on in the promised land? He had to prove it was in their hearts. Why couldn't he just take us from Youngstown to Midland? We'd have never made it. Never made it. No, we had a valuable learning experience, beloved. Valuable learning experience out there in the wilderness. Well, how long does it have to last? Well, I've got something. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's find Joshua. Chapter 2 here. My goodness, we're just going to... Well, every time you bring something out, something's important. So we're just going to let God move by His Spirit. If it takes us a while to get through this, you won't mind. You're not going anywhere. The rapture's not here yet. He brought them out to humble them, to prove them, to know what was in their heart, to teach them that man does not live by natural food, but by every word of God. Being free will moral agents, he had to give them the, the opportunity to, to prove to him what their will would be, what they would choose to do. God will never override their will, a person's will, their choice, their right of choice. Legally, everything in the land belonged to them, but God set it up as a goal and said, that's what you can't have. Can I reiterate that again? Are you ready for this? I think this, this goes above our heads. It goes beyond our, our human imaginations, beyond our human thinking. I'm going to say it again. God said... I have a place prepared for you to enter into in this life. It's called Canaan's land. In it, you will serve me. There will be no sickness or disease. I'll take it away from the midst of you. There will be no miscarriages, no sterility. There will be no hunger, no thirst, no lack, no want. Enemies will fall before you. I'll be an adversary to your adversary, an enemy to your enemies. It will be milk and honey. All that you need will be there. Total freedom. Total liberty, total provision, all that you hope, desire to have in life, it's all yours. Can you see that? That sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? But nevertheless, beloved, I believe in preaching God's best. That's what he said belonged to them, but they had to achieve it. They had to enter into it. Let's put it this way. They had to possess it. It was not up to God to possess it. He provided it for them. They're back here. They left Egypt. They're in the wilderness, and it's over there. And he said, now go. You might meet a lot of hardship along the way, but go. Let that be your goal. Set your sights. That's what you can have if you'll apply yourself 
to it. All right? You know as well as I do that when they got to, to the borders of Canaan after they, Canaan's land, after they, of course, tempted the Lord in the wilderness all these times, these many times, and saw His miracles, saw His signs, saw His wonders, you know that they failed to enter in because of unbelief. We've studied that. And we talked about their confession. We talked about what they said out of their heart and in their mouth. And we talked about how they saw the giant to be bigger than, than, than God Himself. I want to show us something here because this, I was going to go another direction, but the Lord quickened this to me. I want you to see something here in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 8. Here they come to the, to the border of, of, of Jericho, the borders of the promised land. You know, they're, they're coming to possess the land now under the leadership of Joshua. In 2 and verse 8, I want you to notice how the enemy viewed the Israelites. See, we had their side of the story. They saw the giants. They viewed them as greater and more powerful than themselves, even though God was helping them, except Joshua and Caleb, of course. And they were afraid. Their heart melted within them for fear, we read. Caleb said, they brought back word in their heart, as it was in their heart. It made the heart of my brethren to fear. But the word I brought back in my heart was a word of faith that was full of power. I knew that we could take the land. Praise God, I knew that we could get in. And so Joshua and Caleb, they took the land, but the rest died in the wilderness. They didn't possess the promised land. Oh yes, they were delivered from Egypt. They all experienced the signs and wonders, but they did not enter into this place, this beautiful place called Canaan's land. Listen to this. This is how the enemy viewed their coming when they went to spy out the land. Look at verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. She said unto the men, these two men that went to spy out the land, I know, I know, oh, mark this, underline this, highlight this in your Bible. I know that the Lord hath given you the land. You know, God said, I've given you the land. Now, Rahab here is telling these men under the leadership of, of Joshua that I know the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint or melt in their hearts because of you. Verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Beloved, do you see how ridiculous this is? When they got to Canaan's land at the border there in Kadesh Barnea, when they got there with the twelve spies, do you realize that all the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, every one of them, they were already afraid. Their hearts melted within them. All Israel had to do was say, here we are. They just said, the land's yours. What did she just say? We heard what your, your God did for you. We know He's God in heaven and on earth. We heard how He dried up the Red Sea. And when we heard all these things, everyone's courage left. Everyone's heart melted within them, and we know the Lord gave you the land. So what, what she was saying was, we all conceded the land. It was already yours. All you had to do was come. In other words, what took you guys so long to get here? Well, we had to put up with all that unbelief under the leadership of Moses. Come on. See, the Israelites feared the people in the land, the nations. 
But the ones in the land, they feared the Israelites. The only thing that kept the Israelites out of this promise was their own fear. Oh, they were truly delivered out of Egypt, beloved, but they weren't delivered from their own fears. They weren't delivered from their own, their own lives, their, themselves. They weren't delivered from their own doubts and unbelief. Do you see that? And that's why they couldn't get into that place. And what a lesson we could learn from this. They could have walked right on in. They could have lived many, many years, the rest of their years upon this earth, free from sickness, free from disease, and all those other blessings that we mentioned. And they wouldn't even have to fight. They'd have just walked right on in and possessed the Lamb. Do you see that? It's written right here. Now let's take this, let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and let's, let's bring this into our own lives. Let's see how we can learn from this lesson in our own individual lives. Let's see how we can avoid making the mistakes that they made. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Let us therefore fear. In chapter 3, we already talked about that. In the last verse of, of, of chapter 3, verse 19, we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. He's talking about them entering into. Now, what's he talking about them entering into? This spiritual utopia, this place of absolute freedom, liberty, provision. But they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. Now, you see, it doesn't say that God didn't provide it. It was provided for them. And God gave them the ability, the potential to obtain it. But they couldn't enter in because of unbelief, because they feared the enemy. Look at verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest. God has provided for the body of Christ more than deliverance from hell and the second death. Please make note of that. God has provided something more for the body of Christ than just deliverance from hell and the second death. Just like He provided for Israel more than deliverance from Egyptian oppression. He has provided for us something more. It's a place of rest where we can enter into. Each and every one of us can enter into this place of rest. But He says, I'm warning you. Here is a warning. Fear lest any of us us should seem to come short of entering into that rest. And then he tells you how they failed. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. Why? Well, not being mixed with faith. You ladies, you cook, you bake cakes. You put in a lot of ingredients into that bowl. You do not put it in the oven without mixing it, do you? You have to mix it. Mix it all together. You just don't empty the package in or however you make it. Empty the flour, whatever you use. Throw in a couple of raw eggs. Just leave it in that pan without ever mixing any of it and just stick it in the oven. Who are you having over for supper tonight? Hold off on the dessert. What good is it going to do putting it in the oven if you don't mix it? The gospel, we've got to get this across. The gospel 
did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into His rest. Do you see that? The doubters didn't make it. The believers did. We which have believed. Oh, I don't believe we can be free from sickness. I know, and that's why you won't be. Oh, I don't believe that that God will multiply the spaghetti. I know, that's why you won't have big meals. I don't believe that God can pay hospital bills. I know, that's why you'll have to work twice as hard to pay yours. Do you see what he's saying? We which have believed, we enter into rest, he's saying. This place of victory, of liberty, of deliverance, of prosperity, of absolute provision, it is only entered into by the believing one. I've, I've given this message to many. You don't know how many will come back and say, I don't believe that. I don't believe it's possible that we can live our life here on this earth free from sickness and disease. I don't believe that. I believe God heals. Beloved, that's not the point. There's a difference between being healed and and being free from sickness. There's a big difference. Do you see that? And that's what he's saying here. It's only if you believe will you enter into rest. As he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. Although God has provided it, although God planned for it and w- intended for them to enter into it, He said they, 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 they won't. They didn't because of their unbelief. They wouldn't enter in and couldn't enter in. Well, let's quickly go back to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you a scripture. God has provided for us Christ's total gospel for the total deliverance of the total man. And in Christ, or in Him, we have more than what the Israelites had in Canaan's land. We have provided for us more than what they have there in Canaan's land, or what they had. God has provided something better for us. We have a better covenant established upon better promises. We have better provisions. We have more. I mean, how can you get better than what God offered them, what God provided for them? Beloved, I'll tell you, there's one thing under the new covenant that many do not recognize or realize as being an absolute blessing, and that is to have a reborn spirit, a heart of love, love put inside your heart. You know why many of you have great marriages out there? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. Your marriages can be held together. You can walk together as God would have you to walk together more as one than since the time of Adam and Eve. Because God's love has been placed inside your heart. Let's not talk about some of these other things. Thank God for bread and for food and for, or for water and, and all that. Thank God for that, for prosperity and that. But, beloved, I think the greatest thing he's talking about is that which he's wrought inside your heart, in my heart, what he's placed inside our human spirit. We have his love shed abroad inside our heart. He has provided for us in spirit, in soul, and in body total provision for the total man. And I cannot for one minute believe that God offered Israel something better than he offers his own children. To them, he said, I've got Canaan's land. But to you and me, he said, be of good cheer. It's your father's good pleasure and will to give you his kingdom. In Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, everybody say hath, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. 
Everybody say in Christ. Say it again in Christ. In Canaan's land, Israel's possessions were. But in Christ, we have our possessions. See, theirs was a physical deliverance and they were on a physical journey and they had to get to a physical land. Ours is a spiritual deliverance. We're on a spiritual journey and in Him, in Christ, we have all of our possessions. All they had to do was find out what God said belonged to them in Canaan's land. All we need to do is to find out what belongs to us. Look at verse 3 again. Last two words. In who? In who? In Christ. Now, we all have the same deliverance just like they did. We all have the same potential. We all have the same Word of God. We all have the same redemptive rights and privileges. We all have the same loving Heavenly Father. He has no favorites. We are all favorites in His sight. We all hold a dear place in our Father's hearts, heart, every single one of us. We all have the same deliverance in the same name of Jesus and the same power. We've all been delivered from the same powers of darkness. We've all been translated into the same kingdom of His love, the same kingdom of God. We all have all things equal. Everything belongs unto us. He did not bless one person more than He did another in Christ Jesus. We all have the same blessings. Israelites, they all had the same opportunity to enter into Canaan's land and experience all those blessings. We all have the same opportunity in Christ to experience all the blessings that He has provided for all of us. It's not more for one than it is for another. And it's so important that we see that, beloved. Now, remember what he did over there to, to the Israelites in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Once they were delivered, he said, Now I've got to, you've got to go through this wilderness to prove to me what's in your heart so that you'll know that man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God so that I'll know what's in your heart so you will serve me whether you'll keep my commandments or not. Now, notice, go Matthew chapter 4 and, and beginning at verse 1. I want to make a comparison here. Remember, our blessings are in Christ. And Paul the Apostle said that man, or, or the gospel, he's not ashamed of. But in it is revealed the righteousness of God as it's written, the just shall live by faith. And God told the Israelites, I want to teach you that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. And it's the word of faith that comes out of the mouth of God. That's how you're going to live your life. And I want you to prove to me whether or not you live by my word or not. Now, we're in Christ. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 1. Then was Jesus led up to the spirit, of the Spirit to the wilderness to the tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, 40 years, they were in that wilderness. A day, a year for a day, 40 days they spied out the land. For 40 years, he said, because you've failed to enter in, because you've disobeyed me, because of your unbelief and unrepentant heart, he said, you'll spend a year for a day in the wilderness until I raise up a faith people under the leadership of Joshua and they'll go and possess the land. Now, I want you to notice something. 
Even Jesus had to prove what was in his heart to his Father. Even Jesus had to humble himself to his own Father. You see, God is not a respecter of persons. Adam and Eve had to do it. The Israelites had to do it. And now Jesus Christ himself had to do it. You'll back up in chapter 3 and you'll find out that he said, I humble myself to the Father to do what? To fulfill all righteousness. And he humbled himself to be baptized in water when he had no sin. He had no need to be baptized. But he humbled himself before his Father God. And the Father looked down from heaven. The Spirit came down like a dove and he said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then, immediately, he's led into a what? Just like the Israelites. Right into a wilderness. Why? Same reason back there in Deuteronomy. To prove to his father what? Let's read on. Forty days and forty nights. Remember, a year for a day. Day, a year, in the sight of the father. Jesus, in forty days, represented forty years. It was 40 years because of their disobedience. But in 40 days, Jesus makes up for their disobedience in the wilderness to prove to His Father God, I will serve you, I will do your will, I will humble myself to you. Look at the next verse. Verse 3. And when the tempter came to Him, He said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. What did He say? Are you ready for that scripture? But He answered and said... You see how much more meaningful this is now? Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus learned his lesson in 40 days. Jesus learned his lesson. The Father says, I brought you out in this wilderness to prove to you, to let you know, to teach you that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus, in the wilderness, that's the first thing he says out of his mouth. Tempted of the tempter, just like we are. Yeah, we've all been saved. We all have the life and nature of God into our spirits. We've all been redeemed from the second death and delivered from hell. You're glad you're saved, aren't you? But, beloved, listen. God has more for us than that deliverance. More for us than just being saved from hell and from the second death, the lake of fire. But in order for us to experience it in reality in our lives, he's saying there's going to be a time in your life because you have to grow and develop in Christ that you're going to have to learn that man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that's what Jesus told the devil. He learned his lesson right off the bat. And beloved, he did it in 40 days. Your wilderness experience does not have to be 40 years of your life. Like so many think. You can learn it in 40 days. If you'll humble yourself before God and say, Father God, I'm here to do your will. Teach me your ways. These are the very words I spoke out of my mouth. Now, I didn't know any of this what I'm teaching you today. I got on my knees before God and said, You teach me your word. You show me how to live by faith in your word. I'll devote and dedicate my life to teaching people how to live by faith. 
And you know what he did? He said, okay, here's a wilderness for you. I want to find out if your heart is where your mouth is. That's right. Are you speaking out of your heart? Or are you speaking just out of your lips? Do you mean that? Yes, Lord. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Okay, go to Tulsa. See, it does get quiet. It does. It really does. Because it is easy to speak from our lips. But beloved, when it comes to acting upon what we say, that's another story. And so we did. We took off. We did what he said to do. And believe me, we found out that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now quickly turn to Deuteronomy 26. We're running out of time here. And it shall be in verse 1. And it shall be when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possessest it and dwellest therein. I want you to notice these three steps. You've got to come to the land. You've got to possess the land. And then you've got to dwell in or maintain the land. See, beloved, we've been delivered from Satan's kingdom, but we've not been delivered from ourselves. Did you get that? We've not been delivered from our own fears. We've not been delivered from our our own doubts and our own unbelief. But we've been delivered from Satan's kingdom just like Israel was delivered from Egypt. And here we see that even though ours is a spiritual deliverance out of the kingdom of darkness, it's not over yet. We've just begun. We've got so much to learn. We've got so much that we have to know. We've got so much to prove to God. I want to prove to you that you have my life. I've got to prove to you that I'll go where you say go. I'll do what you say do. And he says, if you will set sail, if you'll set your sights to do my will, and if you'll walk according to my statutes, I'll watch over my word to perform it in your life, and you'll enter into, you'll come unto this land. Well, where's coming unto this land? What land is he talking about? For them it was Canaan's land. But, beloved, for you and me, you know where that, that land is in Christ, in Him. That's how we possess the land, in him. Notice it says, come unto the land, possess it, and dwell in it. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, real quick. Every blessing that we have is in Christ Jesus, is what we're saying. But you've got to come unto the land, then possess the land by faith, and then maintain the land by walking in love. Now, let me show you something here in Ephesians 4. Jesus went through his wilderness experience as a conqueror. He obeyed where Adam disobeyed. He obeyed where Israel disobeyed. He went through his temptation to prove his, himself to the Father, his humility. He humbled himself before God, his Father, and said, I'll do your will all the days of my life. And he learned that man will not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He did that. And then when he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men, the ministry gifts. Why? Look at verse 12. 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come. Everybody say, come. Come. He said, come to the land, possess the land, dwell in the land. Until we all come unto the, in the unity of the faith, under the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man. Do you realize that that's what our wilderness experience is all about? And the faster we come into the unity of the faith, under the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, the faster we're going to enter into the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. As a corporate body, beloved, if we'll, see, he, Moses couldn't get them to the unity of the faith. Some, only Joshua and Caleb believed, but the others didn't. He couldn't get them to come into this unity of the faith to say, yes, we're well able to live in a land free from sickness, free from disease, free from strife, free from divorce, free from miscarriage, free from sterility, free from everything, every opposition, every opposing force. He couldn't get them to believe that. They couldn't understand that because they lack spiritual perception. But God has given the fivefold ministry gifts. Why? So that we can come into the unity of the faith. We can come to the land of promise and then possess the land. You say, how do I possess it? Boy, I've been waiting for you to ask me that question. And we're not going to get time to get into it a whole lot. He told Joshua, do we have one more minute? We don't have any more minutes. Quickly go back. Well, praise God. We'll close. I'll give you these scriptures and then we'll close. Joshua chapter 1. There's just so much here, beloved, that we need to know. We need to know. He told Joshua the secret. See, they didn't do it under Moses. You ready for some of these nuggets of truth, some of these secrets of faith to enter into the promises that are in Christ, in Him? That's the, you know, that's the place of our blessing. In Him, in Him, in Him. Every scripture you find in the Bible that says in Him, in whom, in whom we have, in Christ, all those scriptures... We don't realize the significance of it. We don't realize how important they are to know and to confess and to put in our mouth. Joshua was told how to gain entrance into the promised land, individually and corporately. Here in verse 8 it says, individually, this book of the law shall not... Joshua 1.8. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.